0: Is it winter yet? It's okay? Snow on the ground counts? Because if I remember right, snow on the ground last year didn't count. I think it was October when snow was on the ground last year. You guys just tell me. I'm going to wear a coat anyway. (laughs) Supposed to be smart enough to do that on your own, huh? Somebody said that. Hey, we're going to be going on in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles, open up Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're beginning Moses' second sermon. As we look at the book of Deuteronomy, it's a series of four sermons that Moses is going to give. You should be thankful that, that at least I break it up a little bit, Moses is going to go from chapter 5 to chapter 28 for his second sermon. That's a long time. We are not going that far. Uh, But as we take a look... Again, Moses, final words to the children of Israel. New generation on the border to entering into the promised land. Right before they enter into that victorious life, all the things that God's promised them, Moses says, wait a minute, guys, I just got a few things I want to remind you of. A few things I want to I put in, into your heart and into your mind. Because Moses could look back and remember all the mistakes that had been made the generation prior, right? That whole generation had died in the wilderness looking uh, or failing to to enter into the promise. And Moses is going to say, listen, don't forget. Don't forget. Probably one of the biggest problems human beings have is struggling with forgetting in times of prosperity. Oh, you know, when the storm's blowing, when everything's falling apart, we remember God real easy those times, right? Right? Things are falling apart. Everything's broke. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. God's on our lips. But you see, they're about to enter into a time of of instant prosperity. Think about it. When they enter into the promised land, are they building themselves houses? They're going to move in. They're going to be able to move into houses, to vineyards that have already been planted, to fields that have already been irrigated and prepared for crops, to all those things and when they enter into that instant prosperity they're going to do what everybody does forget so moses in deuteronomy is encouraging them he is he is is trying to exhort them remember remember what god's done remember about the generation who came before you Remember where you came from because one day you're going to wake up in the land and you're going to look around and think, man, I've done pretty good and forget that you're there because God brought you out of Egypt across a wilderness and gave you the land. The same challenge for you and I as we go about wanting to enter into that victorious Christian life is remembering where we've come from. One of, the, one of the major issues, one of the major struggles, especially for people who have been Christians for a while, is we begin to judge our spirituality based on where other people are at. The Bible never tells us to look at one another to figure out how spiritual we are. The Bible says the rule is Jesus Christ. We measure ourselves by Him. When we measure ourselves by Jesus Christ, I think we all fall short, right? There's all improvement for everyone. I don't care how good you are, there's improvement For us all. And so we want to remember where we've come from, the lessons we've learned, the deliverance, and the times God's been there with us, guiding us, leading us, so that we, when we face those opportunities of prosperity, we can face it in obedience to God's word rather than forgetting. Forgetting who God is, forgetting what God requires, forgetting what God desires in our life. So, as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, Moses called all of Israel and he said to them, Hear, O Israel. That's going to be important in these next two chapters. The Hebrew word for hear is the word Shema. Maybe you've heard of the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God. So, as we take a look, it begins with that. When When they call hear, Moses is saying, This is important. This is important. This is something that you need to grasp and that you need to understand, that you need to apply. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. So he's going to give a, if you will, a a Moses commentary, which is a good commentary to have. Moses commentary on the law. Uh, Who better than have Moses write it since he's the one who got them. He received them. He's going to... He's going to build on this. But remember, when they hear, what is it that He tells them to do? Just hear them, learn them, and observe them. Is there anything wrong with the law today? Here's the exciting news for us to understand. The law was given to us, we studied in the book of Galatians, until Christ came. But the law was given to the nation of Israel to show them how to love God in return. Now, for every man who has ever been married or had a girlfriend, understanding what our wives or the women in our life want from us for love is very helpful. I might think I know, but many times I'm wrong. I think, oh, this, will make, this is, this is going to make Kathy so happy. And then find out that didn't exactly have the effect I thought it was going to have. We learned a long time ago, learning to what each other expects from one another and trying to figure it out by osmosis doesn't work. So we talk to one another so that we understand. God talked to the nation of Israel and gave to you and I in the word of God, these are the things, this is what you can do to love me. Lord, I don't know how to love you. Here's how you love him. Keep his commandments. Isn't that what John wrote in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. My commandments will not be burdensome. Why? Because love's not a burden. No matter how hard it is, love's not a burden. Now, in Galatians, we've been looking. If we turn that, if we twist it and say, now I'm doing this to earn something, that changes everything, right? That changes our attitude. It changes the reason, the purpose behind it. If I uh, apply the law of the Lord to my life in an effort to show God I love Him, that's different than trying to earn salvation. Everybody with me? So he He wants us to understand that's His desire. Learn them, observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Remember, Horeb is the same as Sinai. Horeb would be like the county and Sinai would be the area within that county. Horeb, Sinai, same area. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us. Those who are here today, all of us who are alive. Okay, he's saying this doesn't just apply to the past guys who are dead. This is for us. Does the law have anything to do with the dead? Does, can the law govern the dead? Once you're dead, the law has no governance over you. The law can only judge The living. So he says, hey, this is for those of us who are alive today, not for those who are from the past. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. Don't forget, as we studied the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, was spoken from Mount Sinai, Sinai being the pulpit for God. The people, we're going to read it in a second, were a little freaked out. Anybody here be freaked out if uh, the voice of God came out of the heavens? Fire, thunder, lightning, darkness, clouds swirling. They were a little bit freaked out. They said, uh, this is too much for us, Moses, you go talk to God. The real issue for me in that is I, I, I understand that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. But I also understand that even though Moses worked and walked in the fear of the Lord, he wanted to be near the Lord. He wanted to go where God was. When the people said, Moses, you go, he didn't say, oh, come on, somebody else, let's draw straws. He wanted to be there. I want to be like that. I want to want to be in God's presence. So still today, there are people who are afraid to be in certain areas or in certain situations because it's uncomfortable for them. They Maybe they don't fully understand what's going on. And let's face it, sometimes people get a little bit carried away with some of those things. When they get caught up in that, when they find themselves in that situation... Rather than wanting to learn, know, understand... ...what's biblical, what's right... ...and having everything that God has for us... ...they want to withdraw and say, this is enough. This is enough of what I need from the Lord. I don't want... I'm afraid, I don't want to go further. We don't want to do that. We want to be those like Moses who want to go. Now Moses said, listen, the Lord spoke it to you. And then in verse 5... ...I stood between the Lord and you at that time... ...to declare to you the word of the Lord... For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's important. I want you to consider that. Because God is one of the first things when he's laying out the law. He says, you need to remember where you came from. As soon as you forget where you've come from. Now I want you to fast forward. Jesus Christ standing before the Pharisees. He tells the Pharisees that they have been in bondage. And what do the Pharisees respond? We've never been in bondage to anyone. At the time, they were currently in bondage to Rome. But what did? how does the law begin? Remember when you were in bondage in Egypt and I called you out. I brought you out. Remember where you've come from. At the time of Christ... They were so puffed up with their own spirituality that they they couldn't even hear the words of God from God's lips. The pride that was working within their hearts. Remember where you come from. Remember who you are. I hope that I never reach the point where I forget who I am. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am as dirty as... And as nasty as any other sinner or person anywhere else on the planet earth. I am not better than them. I have not gone further than them. I am a sinner saved by grace, touched by the grace of Jesus Christ. The only thing that separates me from anyone else is Christ in my life. As soon as we lose sight of that. As soon as it's, you know, wow, look at this kingdom that I have built. Now we're like Nebuchadnezzar, right? Look what I have done. We're like the children of Israel and the judges, forgetting God. In that time, time, there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. No king. Why was there no king? God was supposed to be their king, but God wasn't on the throne. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't lose touch. What God has done, who God is, what He has worked for us. He says, listen, I brought you out of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. What's that first commandment is saying, I want your submission in every area of your life. So a lot of times we can look at the Ten Commandments and we can go through them real fast and we can read them and we think, yeah, I don't have no gods. God wants our submission in every single area of our life. If there's an area of our life in which we are not submitted to the Lord, then we have an idol. And and He wants to understand. There probably are weekly, monthly, maybe even daily battles in areas in my life where I have to learn to say, You know what, God? (laughs) This situation, this occurrence, this issue pass through your hands. And I, I submit to you. This is what it is. This, is. this is how it is. This is where it is. Through your hands, God, I'll submit this area to you. I'll sub- My God is able, right? He's able to defend me. He's able to deliver me. He's able to speak to me. He's able to guide me. Rather than looking at everything as though it comes from here, it comes from there, I always want to have eyes to say, you know what, this is, this is something that passed through my Heavenly Father. I want to have ears to hear that. I want to be willing to submit to that and say, so be it, Lord. You have a plan. You have a design. I will have no other gods before Him. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven, above, or that is in the earth. Why? Because, listen... Any attempt to represent God in that type of a physical uh, manifestation is going to limit his limitlessness. As soon as you made God a golden calf, you limited him. The golden calf may speak of his strength, but it doesn't speak of everything that is God. You may build a, a, a serpent and, and ascribe to the serpent incredible wisdom. But, but, but then you've got that characteristic, but you're missing out of everything that is God. God said, don't make any graven image and do not put me in a box. Nothing, nothing on heaven, nothing on earth, beneath or that which is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. When God speaks of his jealousy, when the Lord says, this is what he's saying. I don't want part of you. I don't want a smidgen. All or nothing. What did he tell us in the book of Revelation chapter 3? He said, I want you hot or cold. But that little middle ground thing, I'm not, I'm not down with that. I'm not with that at all. Why? Because that's fake. At least if you're hot, you're real. And if you're cold, you're real. But if you're lukewarm, you're fake. God says, I don't want that. I want it all. Will you give your life to me? I want it all. I, I, I love Keith Green. I still can sit down. Does anybody even know who he is anymore? Like a couple people? <clears throat> I'm getting so old. But... I love Keith Green. He has these—the uh, uh, lyrics to his music was in, was incredible. I had opportunity when I was sixteen to go to a concert, and I, I wish I could have grasped what I was seeing when I when I saw him in concert. But it, nevertheless, it was wasted on me at that moment. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Black Sabbath, so I wasn't happy. But nonetheless, it was as he's sharing and as he as he brings forth these lyrics. That they really provoke you to think and to, and to wonder and to understand and to, to realize, man, I want God to be everything. I want him to be all that I am. I want to realize that he wants all of me, not just Sunday and Wednesday night. He wants seven days a week, 24-7, all or Nothing. He wants it all. He wants it all. Don't, don't, don't limit God. Don't limit our relationship with Him. And then often people stumble over this next section, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Sometimes they stop there. I often have people come tell me they're part of a generational curse. I don't believe the Bible teaches a generational curse unless this last part of this word is for you. Gener- uh, visiting the sins or the iniquity on the fathers, on the sons to the third and fourth generation On those who hate me. But on those who love me, what's he say? Showing mercy to thousands. The emphasis in this in the language is the minority to the the outpouring to to the many who are willing to love God. What are the Ten Commandments all about? Loving God. How to love God. This is how we enter into this loving relationship. Showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, often we focus on the profanity. That's an easy one to point to. But often then we will forget about the frivolity. You know, we we use the name of God superficially. In other words, we're saying, we, we flippantly, it's like we just fling it around all, all over the place. Uh, the the Hebrew mindset, when they came across the name of God, before they would write it, they would get a new pen, new ink, change their clothes, and dip themselves in a mikvahot to take a bath. And then they'd write his name. That's how much they... How much reverence they had. And so the, the attitude, the idea is not to be frivolous with the name of God. Now please understand, God is not God's name. But the concept is that there's, there's that, that frivolousness or hypocrisy, play acting, you know, pretending, yeah, you know, uh, saying I am a Christian and living my life in another way. Doesn't that profane God's name? I mean, the TV channels are full of people. How many times does a, does a newspaper have to report some TV evangelist or pastor who's blown it or who's fallen or who was a fraud? And what's that? That is taking the name of the Lord in vain, making His name empty or, or, or useless. We don't want to have that. He, he goes on, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. He says observe the sabbath day to keep it holy as the lord your god commands you a lot of people like to talk about that and there's a lot of people who get hung up on it now again the the teaching of the sabbath the law was till christ jesus christ is our sabbath rest he is the fulfillment of the law and in him we find rest and paul after repeating all of the the ten commandments but Keeping the Sabbath, said now some people deem one day better than another; others a different day. You be fully convinced in your own mind, in your own mind, that you understand what's going on. Observe the Sabbath day, they, they, but people get hung up on that. Why do they ignore verse thirteen? Six days you shall work. Abraham, Abraham. You don't get to pick and choose through the law. You don't get to say, oh yeah, this is this a part I'm going to apply and this part I'm going to ignore. We talked about it before too. Part of the, the, the Sabbath was the sabbatical year. Every seventh year, the year of Jubilee. Nobody wants to practice those things. Ask somebody to loan you money and then follow the Sabbath. And then 50 years, you're, you're, you're all paid up. It's over. Everything would revert back to the hands. Every slave would be set free every seven years. So, But again, the concept of observing the Sabbath day, the concept of setting a day apart to the Lord is outstanding. Why limit it to setting a day? Why not set two, three, four, seven? Why not make God central in every way? The Sabbath the Scripture lays out for us was made for man not man for the sabbath The sabbath was made for man and the scripture tells us specifically it's a covenant with the nation of israel forever we'll see the sabbath instituted in fact if you go to israel uh with me in, in a little over a year you will experience the sabbath in israel you want to pay attention to what elevator you get on. If you get on the Shabbat elevator, you will stop on every single floor on the way up. Why? Because pushing the button is work. So to keep you from working on the Sabbath, it will stop Take, if you're on the 40th floor, brother, you're for a long ride. You're way better off taking the stairs. Apparently the stairs are okay on the Sabbath. But the elevator, pushing the button on the elevator is a bad idea. Nonetheless, as we take a look, we want to remember the seventh day for the Lord. <clears throat> but the seventh day of the Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you shall do no work nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your ox or your donkey, nor any other cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You understand thousands of years ago what God just said in his law? But you're all the same. It's not a day for women to work or your slaves to work or your animals to work. You give them all the break. Everybody, everybody observes the Sabbath in the land. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Again, it's a a reference to the nation of Israel. This is specifically pointed toward them. The Sabbath rest for the believer is in Jesus Christ. He fulfills the Sabbath even as he fulfills the law for us. But as we take a look, he goes on and says in verse 16, Now I want you to honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long. The first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long. That's all of us. And I don't read within the honoring of the father and mother a clause that says until you're 20 or 25 or 30 or 40 or 50. Or, it says honor your father or mother. Be respectful to those who gave you life. <clears throat> One of the things you discover as you get older and raise your own children is that all the answers you thought you had, you didn't really have. All the answers you think you know. The only people with all the answers have young children. Because I can make a young child do almost anything. When that child is 22, good luck with that. Or, 13. or 18 or 17 or a number of ages in between. But it's understanding that we are survivors of parenthood. But that it means that God expects how we love God as children, and that's children from our children to ourselves. We love God by honoring our parents. By honoring our parents. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long, that it may be well with you in the land where your Lord, your God, is giving you. Keep in mind, this was radically different from the nation that was in the land right now. These things are radically different From everybody around them. Radically different. He says in verse 17, You shall not murder. The, The word in the Hebrew is rashach. It means to take a life outside of the law. The way that a life was to be taken was under divine authority. God gave authority for when a life would be taken and when a life wasn't to be taken. God had the, uh, the ability to make that call. When they went in at, at war, God would say, kill them all. That was under divine authority. That's not murder. The Lord said, by, if man sheds man's blood, then by man his blood shall be shed. That's by divine authority, capital punishment. So that was the guiding factor. It's not just when people get together and think, well, uh, they can't think for themselves, or they can't figure this out for themselves, or they're not living So they're not really a life, so it doesn't count. That's Scripture. Scripture indicates for us throughout the Scripture, life begins, inception, conception, the moment. I like to tell my kids at the thought. And maybe we don't go nowhere else. The thought. Life begins. The Bible says that that's how sin is given birth to, isn't it? Starts as a thought becomes an action. Leads to death. We want to have that. That same kind of concept. You shall not murder. Ruach. You shall not commit adultery. The Bible lays out for us a marriage relationship. As a mirror to our relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 5. Over and over again. The bride of Christ. Compared with the relationship between a husband and a wife. Every husband knows. The verse it speaks of. Wives submit to your husband as to the Lord. Every Wife knows they don't. They love your husband, or love your husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. It's a mirror of that relationship. When the Lord tells the children of Israel throughout the prophets, You have committed harlotry against me, we understand what he's saying, right? You have cheated against me. I'm your God, and you are worshiping other gods. You have entered into a relationship with other gods. That's spiritual adultery. And so we see here, God calls us. Do not commit adultery. Jesus emphasized that, right? Where does adultery begin? In the mind, at the thought. You shall not steal. You shall not bear bear false witness against your neighbor. By the way, that includes gossip. And finally, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his servant. As male servant, as female servant, as ox, as donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. When we look at the nine, we might be able to see the physical manifestations of those. The tenth commandment, you can't see. Right? Can you tell when someone's coveting? When they want what someone else has? That clearly is something that occurs within us. Paul said, I was great going through the Ten Commandments till I came to what? Thou shalt not covet. When I got there, the law killed me. The law killed me. Thou shalt not covet. That that concept of, of covetousness, to lust after anything that's not yours, anything that you don't have. Man, I can't hardly watch TV without that happening. TV comes on, and somebody drives a Harley across the screen. <laughs> I start having flashbacks. Didn't I used to have one of those? Anyway, <clears throat> until I get over that, God's not going to let me have another one, so it's all on me. The, the, the Lord doesn't want us, he doesn't want us to covet. In fact, let's take a look at what Jesus said in Luke. <clears throat> we flip over to, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke twelve fifteen. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, "Take heed, and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. He who dies with the most toys does not win anything. Right." Be careful of covetousness, because covetousness, it it can grasp us all. Now, as he finishes up, he says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly. In the mountain, from the midst of the fire, the cloud, the thick darkness, in a loud voice. And he added, No more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So it was, when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, and, and yet he still lives. Now therefore, why should we die for this Great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more. Then we shall die. For who is there in flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear. All. Why did they think that was okay? You ever wonder? Well, if we hear, we're going to die. Moses, you go. Let's get Mikey. He likes everything, right? Moses, you go. You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and tell us about the Lord our God, or all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. God was listening to that, by the way. We will hear and do it. One of the things that Paul points to, the reasons why the old covenant is inferior to the new covenant and the Abrahamic covenant, is that this came through a mediator. That the people didn't want to be one on one with God, it passed through Moses. We got the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue right now, but there's 609 still to go. So <clears throat> Moses is going to receive those along with the sacrificial system and bring those to the people. But again, God is listening, and the Lord heard the voice of the words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. That it might be well with them and with their children forever. I love that phrase when God says, if only they had a heart in them to do it. The Lord would say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We see here that, that they have the right attitude. We see them make the right decisions when they say, oh, no, we only want to be where God is. But we also see them leave that, fall away from that concept because of the prosperity and, and the things that life brings into their life. They, they're going to back away. They're going to forget the Lord. They're going to get all about their own thing. You know? Hey, life is busy. Anybody not busy? So life's got a lot of things. It comes at you all day long. It doesn't take a day off. Life doesn't stop. Another battle every single day. But as it does, we want to we stand in the Lord. The attitude that said, you tell us what God says and we'll do it. The Lord says, man, that's great. If only they had a heart to do it. Because if they did, it would be well with them in the land. But they don't. Because at this point, they don't have the ability They don't have the strength. They don't have the understanding. He goes on and says, Go and say to them, return to your tents. You guys don't have to be out here. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you will teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving to them to possess. I want you to teach. I want you to, to, to share. I want you to lead. I want you to guide. And therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. James would say that we would be hearers or not hearers, but doers also. That we would not just hear the word and say, oh, that's great, and then he says, if you look in the mirror and you see the smudge on your face, you say, oh, I have a dirty face. And then you walk away and forget that your face was dirty. He said, well, what's the point of looking in the mirror? What's the mirror? The law. The law is good. The law is right. The law is still a way that we can show our love and appreciation, our respect unto the Lord. So he says, don't go to the right or to the left, but you will walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. None of the commandments that God gives is harmful to any of us, is it? Not at all. The Lord says, do these things, and it's going to be well. Do these things, and your days will be prolonged. And then he goes on, chapter 6. Now, I want you to hear this. Now, this is the commandment. So we just had the 10... But he's going to sum them all up. He's going to sum up all the commandments. These are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His judgments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, And that your days may be prolonged. Now what is the Lord saying over and over and over again? I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I want your days prolonged. I want you to be blessed. I want you to walk this way and experience life. There have been many times with my children that I have suggested, guided, taught, said, walk this way and things are going to work out. Walk this way and things won't. Sometimes they do well. Sometimes they don't. We want to understand that when we hear, when we keep, when we follow, when we obey the things that God lays out for us, that it's going to be well for us. Therefore, hear O Israel, again, Shema, hear O Israel and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. What's he say? Hear, O Israel, again, the Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, everybody likes to go to this, especially those who don't quite have a grasp on what the Trinity is all about. And let's face it, if we're honest, most of us don't quite have a grasp on what the Trinity is all about, but we can see the Trinity throughout the scriptures, why we accept it and we believe it. Hear, o Israel, the Lord your God, Lord, capital L O R D, the covenantal name of God, Yahweh, Y H V H, the name of God is echad, not yahid. What's the difference? Yahid means one, And only. Echad means unified. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. Alone is God. One God. One unified God. Brought together in one place. Listen, I'll explain. I found a great definition for it. The very first use of the word Echad in the Bible is in Genesis 1-5. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Even here we see the unity. One day with the idea of plurality made up by evening and the morning. The two, one. Genesis 2.24 uses echad in husband and wife. For the two shall become one flesh. Echad, unified. Plurality made one. In Exodus twenty six six and verse 11... The 50 gold clasps which are used to hold the curtains together so the tent could be one. Echad. Plurality brought together in unity over and over and over again. The word Echad is used the same way. In Ezekiel 37, 17, the Lord tells Ezekiel to join together two sticks, prophetically representing Ephraim and Judah, into one. Plurality, two into Echad. One, unified. Speaking again of the unity, one stick made of the two, plurality. There's no way that Echad has the exclusive idea of absolute singularity. For absolute singularity, the word in Hebrew is Yahid. That's not what was used. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is Echad. Plurality in unity. All throughout pages of Scripture. Does that help me understand how that works? No. It just tells me that it does. That there is that within God. In his triune three persons. One God. And only one God. The Bible teaches it in fact over and over in the Scripture. We sing songs. Elohim. El is the word for God. Eleh. Is the word plural? Elohim is more than two. Elohim. Always, Elohim in the plural, used with the article in the original language, points to the one God, Most High. We're, you'll see that capital G O D throughout the scripture. So again, a plural word used is a singular God. We see it on the pages of scripture, so I don't want to bemoan the point, but the idea is understood. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And here is the one commandment. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What were the Ten Commandments all about? He just summed it up for us. This is the one commandment. When Jesus was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God. He didn't go to the first commandment or the second commandment. He went right here to the Shema, the one, the commandment. Love the Lord your God. Love. And that love we see in 1st, in 2nd, and 3rd John comes out of our obedience to him, fulfilling what God desires of us. And then, not only that, verse 6 and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, shall be in your heart. Make them a part of your life. Jesus said like this, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. I can know everything about the Bible. I can know everything about who Jesus is, maybe what I think Jesus looked like, what Jesus did in history. What does that have to do with with anything? He's got to be a part of me. When he says this needs to be in your heart, it means it's got to be a part of you. Don't forget, the word heart in the Hebrew is not really the heart. You know that, right? It's the bowels. It's the bowels because that's the seat of feeling. Think about it. When you get the butterflies, it's not in your heart. Right? So that's where the feeling was from. That's where they would talk about. It needs to be inside you, in your innards, a part of your life. Make this a part of your heart that it would be within you. And you will what? Teach them diligently to your children. It doesn't say that you'll trust that the Sunday school teachers do it for you. Or that that private school that you've enrolled your children in is going to take care of it for you. He says, you teach it diligently to your children. And then he goes beyond that. It's beyond sitting down and teaching. He goes, look what he says next. Not only that, but you shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. He says, it should come up in your natural conversation just naturally, it will occur at any time. You're sitting down to dinner and it'll come up and you're going to talk about it. Or You're out for a walk, it's going to come up and you're going to talk about it. See, in order for that to happen, God has to be central in your life. Your children, my children, our children, they're going to develop a relationship with God based on what they see in us and what we have at home, not what we do on Sunday. They're going to pick it up from the rest of the week from the other things, from the other things that are happening. So we want to have it in our heart, a part of our life, so much to the point that it's part of our regular conversation. I, I still remember to this day sitting around with my dad and me and my brothers, and, and especially as we got older and our wives, and we'd sit around the table and we'd, we'd talk about the Bible. We'd talk about this or that, or, or somebody has a question, or we'd you know, have our little debates on the things that were our little, whatever they were, our pet peeves or whatever, in scripture but it was a part of what we did it was a part of who we were It's a part of of our regular daily thing and, and god wants that to be a part of us and a part of our homes and then he says you will bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and man they took that literally now i think that it's meant obviously figuratively bound on my hands means the things i do are going to be about the lord On the frontlets of my eyes, my thoughts, where I look, what I do, where I go, they're going to be governed by God being central in my life. What did it become? Still that way today. Go to Israel today with me and you're going to see guys walking around with what they call phylacteries. A phylactery is a big box that they tie on their forehead. Inside the box on their forehead is this scripture. Rolled up in a tiny little scroll... And it only costs like $1,000 to buy one. So now you know why I don't have one hanging in my office. This is their phylacteries. They wear it on their heads. They tie it, bind it on their hands. When we go to the Western Wall, when we go to the Wailing Wall, the, the wall, the foundational stones of the temple, you'll see them there praying. They pray, always moving, constantly moving, not standing still with the phylacteries on their head and on their hands walk around with it. Jesus said they enlarge their phylactery. So people think, well, that guy's really holy. He's got a big old box on his forehead. You know, I'm going to keep that refrigerator box and I'm just going to strap it around my head. And everybody's going to think, wow, that guy must be holy. Look at what he's got strapped to his head. But the idea is that that governs our thoughts, our eyes, where we're going, what we're doing. That, that God is that central in our life. That's that's the heart of the commandments. That God is the meat behind everything that we do. That you would teach them, that you would bind them. And then you will write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. What does that mean? That your homes will be established upon the Word of God. What did it become? The mezuzah. No, not Medusa. Mezuzah. Mezuzah is that little thing you'll see on the door. usually slanted towards... The interior of the door, rolled up within it, is this scripture. And they nail it to their doorposts, and there. I'm, I'm fulfilling what God's asked me to do. I've nailed the mezuzah to my door. I do have one of those. They're not $1,000. Just a couple bucks in, in Israel if you want to bring one back. But the idea is, found. make the foundation of your home, your doors, your gates... The entrance to everything you are and everything you do founded on this principle that the Lord your God is one and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, that you be focused totally and utterly and completely on him. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, Hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Instant prosperity leads to forgetfulness. If you don't believe it, read the book of Judges. It's one of the most depressing books to read of all. Why? Because as you go through each one of the judges, they're going to be in bondage, they're going to be enslaved, God's going to raise up a deliverer, the deliverer is going to set them free, they're going to enter into a time of prosperity, they're going to forget the Lord, they're going to enter into bondage, God's going to raise up a deliverer, the deliverer is going to de- deliver them into a time of prosperity, and they're going to forget, th- that's the entire book. Over. And, and, the, and the way it begins... In those days in Israel there was no king and every man did what was right in his own eyes is the way it ends. All the way through the book. That concept is is being carried through. We we don't want to forget where we have come from. So that in times of prosperity, I always wondered, you know, why God didn't give me wealth. I don't have to wonder. It is obvious I, I should not have it. If I could handle it, I'd have it. If it was something that I wouldn't forget the Lord, doesn't God want to bless us? Sure He does. Can He bless other, some people? Sure He can. Is He going to bless me? He's going to bless me in a lot of ways. And I love my relationship with the Lord and I love how God takes care of me and my God meets all my needs, everything I need, everything I'll ever need, I have in Him. And I don't want anything that's going to take my eyes off of that. If there's something that separates me from Him, I don't want it. Even if my wonder thinks it does. I don't want it. I don't want it. Give me neither riches nor poverty. Riches that I would forget the Lord and be full. Poverty that I would steal and profane His name. But give to me this day my Daily bread. Give me what I need. And all I need is him. All I need is him. And that's what I want. That's what I desire. That's what I want to see moving and and having its being in my life. He goes on and says in verse 13, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. Interesting, isn't it? Doesn't the scripture tell us we shouldn't swear by the Lord's name nor by heaven above or earth below for it's his footstool? What's he saying then? He's saying that, he, that when we, not, not making these, these empty oaths or swears or foolish things, but we live our lives before God That our desire is to honor him in everything we do. So the oaths that we have, the things that we do, we keep in his name. In other words, we bear in in our example and the things we do, honor to God. That means don't take the bumper sticker off your car. Just don't drive like an idiot. You know what I mean? It means it's okay to, to have those things. I'll never forget. Well, there's no point. But there's, there's, yeah, I'll leave it go. There, there's no point in, in making the promises. This is one of the verses I go to when I say, you know what? God wants me to pay my debts. Whether right or wrong. Whether somebody ripped me off and I got, I got the raw end of the deal. I'm supposed to keep my oaths. According to his name, in his life, did Jesus pay what he owed? He did. Does God make an opportunity for us? I mean, we see over and over again, God in in his design of what indebtedness was, is totally different than than what our design of indebtedness is. But that concept is there. Take oaths in his name. What you're going to do, do so that it brings honor to him not dishonor. That it brings honor to Him, that God is glorified in the lives that we live out before Him. Now He's going to go on and say, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. He says, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in massah Massah means the tempting. Meribah, contentions. Massah and Meribah, uh, Exodus chapter 17, I think, is the story of what took place there. The concept behind the story is simply this. Having already seen all that God has done for you, like spoiled children, we call out to the Lord and demand that he prove his love for me by meeting this next need for the children of Israel, it was water. You brought us out here to kill us. We're thirsty. You don't love us. You hate us. The Lord gave him water. But he said, you tempt me. You tempt me by saying, I demand something more than what you've already done. I, I don't believe, I don't trust that you're going to keep your word to me, that you're taking care of us. Well, we've all been there at one time or another. We can all have a a, a chip on our shoulder in regard to the nation of Israel and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe all the things they did. We do the same stuff. The same thing. After God has freely given us all things in Christ Jesus, he's given us salvation, set us free from the bondage of the law so that we can experience a true and right relationship with him. And then we cry out, Lord, if you only do this, could you just do this? Then I'll really know you love me. I'll really know you care for me. We've all done it. One of my favorite things to say whenever something went wrong years ago was God hates me. No, oh, he does not hate me. He proved emphatically that he does not hate me. And I tempt the Lord my God when I say, you need to do this so I know you love me. When I don't believe God's word, right? Because Abraham believed God, not seeing the promise fulfilled. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. God says, I exalt my word above all my name. I already told you how they treated the name of God. God says, My word's more important to me than that. I won't break my word. Believe it. Believe it. Accept it. Receive it. You shall not tempt the Lord like you did in Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies and statutes that He has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Important. And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what's the meaning of these testimonies or statutes, the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? And you will say to your son, this is where we came from. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out. He brought us out from there. That he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our father. What's he telling us? How to avoid apostasy in prosperity. How do you avoid it? Remember where he came from. Remember what God has done. The old song, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. The, the idea is that we never forget that we teach our children so they know. So that they understand. So that they have a grasp. And the Lord commanded us to observe these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as it is this day. Did you, did you hear that? And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Not our good most of the time. Not sometimes it works out okay and sometimes it don't. For our good always. What did Paul say in Romans 8? For we know. Not we hope, not we think, not we're pretty sure. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purposes. So... These things, they are for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So what went wrong? Well, it goes like this. In the book of Exodus, we read it this way. And a Pharaoh came that didn't know who Joseph was. What happened? He didn't know where they had come from, the deliverance that Joseph had brought, and he enslaved the children of Israel. When we don't raise up the next generation, that is our charge, to raise them up, to train up our children, to train up other children, to help the word of god be taught shared understood that we would always remember where we came from i shared with you before the story of the old fella in korea that had been damaged in the war been horribly scarred spent most of his life scrounging around picking up cans and things he could odds and ends he could sell so that he could have a surgery to repair his eyesight and one day while he was out doing all these things he comes across a child who's being picked on by a group of other children encircling him. And he comes up and finds out that that child's blind. And all the old man has to do is run up to him because he looks so disfigured, so mangled from the damage that was done on his face in the war that all the other children scatter. And in Korea, that, that child, that damaged child's worthless. They just throw him out. So the old man took the child and he, and he took care of him. And he raised his money and he worked and when he got enough money for the surgery, he went in, talked to the doctors for the beginning, for the first steps in doing skin grafts and trying to repair some of the burn damage that was done to his face. And he just happened while he was there to ask the doctor, would you take a look at this boy's eyes? And you know what the guy discovered? The the blindness in that boy was caused by cataracts. And he could fix it. So I can fix his eyes. And basically, fixing that child's eyes meant he couldn't begin the skin graft. But to the old man, he wanted to give this child a chance. And once he could see, he could enter back into society. Somebody would take care of him. He'd be raised up. Everything would be okay. So he did the surgery for the little boy, gave him back his sight. And the old man went about his ways, looking for cans. Another family took that kid in, raised him up. Years later, the old man's going through a trash can outside a, a restaurant and the people seen him, you know, we do the same thing today. You're sitting down for a restaurant and some homeless guy's going through the trash. It kind of bothers your, your ability to eat. Maybe we complain, say, oh man, look at this guy. Well, the Mater d', here's what's going on. And he goes out there, hey, old man, you need to go out back. Go somewhere else if so people don't want to see you. And the old man didn't move. And the, and the mater d' said, listen, can't you hear me? Don't you, do you understand what I'm saying to you? You cannot be here. Still didn't move. Just kind of stared at him. All of a sudden, the mater d' just reached over, grabbed the old man by the back of his coat, got him running, and flung him out into the street. Old oh, man, get out of here. Never even saw the tears in the old man's eyes. Because the old man recognized the child he had given sight to but the child forgot where he came from that's what we do may we never be like that remember where we come from what god has done for us amen why don't you stand with me let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you. We, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word, to make your word part of our lives, to accept, God, your teaching as, as, as real and true. And not that I should interpret your word by life, but that your word should interpret my life for me guide me, lead me, cause me to walk in your statutes, in your commandments, in obedience to you, as an effort to show you that I love you, that I desire this, to have my life say, I love Jesus. And if that's not what my life is saying, I'm not sure I'm showing you I love you. And for that, I repent. I want to show you by my actions, by the things I do, by who I am, not earning anything, just as a response to what you've done for me. And your word is true, and it's right, and it's righteous, and it's good for me, always. But God, you know my frame. I am but dust. And you love me anyway. You know my frame and you say the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. And you call us surrender every area. All of it. And the last one that seems to go is our will. God I pray that As we make that surrender, Lord, as we come before you to remember always, always who we are. A sinner saved by grace, a little blind boy who didn't see until you gave me sight. And now I want to respond by doing things that are loving to you. I don't want to push you in the back room or hide you under a table or be embarrassed Not of you. Not for what you've done for me. So God, give us eyes to see and a heart willing to receive, not to be hearers only, but doers also. May we apply your word. May your word speak to us as it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, may you touch us by the power of your spirit, Lord God. Bring us to a place of repentance, renewal, and revival. Help us not play church. Keep the name of God in hypocrisy. Let us not profane your name. But may we glorify your name. In all that we do. We seek and desire to honor you. And we thank you Jesus. That you give us a new day. Every day. Every day try again so equip us empower us by the power of your spirit so that we might be who you're calling us to be give us boldness and a desire to spread your word to teach diligently and to have conversation when we're here and there wherever we go may we be about the work you've called us to May we honor and glorify your name. As we lift this time to you, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close in a time of worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. Do we have some of that cake out there? It's gone? Man, this was some killer cake. Sorry, guys. But we're going to <laughs> have a time of fellowship out here. We invite you to hang out and fellowship with us. God bless you guys and go in peace.
1: Is with whom then shall I be? Whom then shall I?
0: Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you this evening. Lord God, thank you for moving. Father God, thank you for your spirit being here. We thank you that you never let us go. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, just go with us as we leave this place. Be glorified, Father, in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys.